Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Glow Up Girl podcast. I'm Kyra Mitchell-Lewis, and thank you for joining. Um, How's everyone doing out there? Um, Before I go on, I must celebrate the Lakers for once again becoming world champs. Yep. Woo-hoo! Lake show. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. So... We can move on now. All that aside, um, I am bringing you a special episode today because I do want to cover a very important topic today, and that is breast cancer awareness and ensuring that we, both women and men, are taking the necessary steps to ensure that we take preventative measures to know where we stand. My guest today is Melissa Adams, author, breast cancer survivor, and founder of Behind the Pink Ribbon. On her podcast, Behind the Pink Ribbon, Melissa features real people sharing real stories from their breast cancer journeys. Melissa will join me to discuss her breast cancer journey and how she's helping those who face a similar reality. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Glow Up Girl podcast. I am Kyra, and I am thrilled today to have Melissa Adams from Behind the Pink Ribbon here to join us to talk about um, breast cancer awareness and really um, a focus on her journey as a survivor. So, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to go ahead and dive in because your journey has is really amazing. And I want to make sure that, you know, you get to tell us um, everything that you've gone through and experienced um, in your journey. It's a long journey. (laughs) (laughs) We've got time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So um, I was diagnosed when I was 31. It was um, March of 2007. And I would love to tell you that I was doing breast exams, that I was, you know, one of those people that every month on the first, I was feeling my chest and my armpits and, and being mindful of what was going on in my body, but I wasn't. I happened to lean over in my closet. And for whatever reason, I just put my right, my left hand on my right breast and I felt a lump. Didn't think anything of it, wasn't really concerned. Um, I had mentioned it to somebody at work and she just suggested that I call my gynecologist. So I did. And they said, well, if you're having your period, you know, just wait a week Mm -hmm. and then come back. And so I, you know, for a week played with it and, you know, it's really hard when you find something for it in your body to not keep touching it. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I called and went in and um, at first they were hesitant. My doctor told me that I didn't have anything to be worried about. I told him that I had a family history and he told me that my paternal grandmother was too distant, um, that it probably wasn't breast cancer, but he still sent me and um yeah, through a series of tests, uh, it came back um, that I had stage 2A uh, genetic breast cancer. Um, mm-hmm. So it was it was over a period of time. It was about two months, um, probably three months, actually, to get that full diagnosis. But, um, yeah. I, I mean, I... I have to ask the question, um, but obviously, how did, how did you feel? What was your reaction when you got those test results? You know, I, I really tried to prepare myself the best that I could, and I thought I was ready. Like, I knew in my heart that it was breast cancer. 
there were some clues that were left along the way from the doctors, um, just the way mm-hmm. that they treated me or the words that they said. And I was in my office and a doctor that I didn't know had called and I wouldn't think anything of it because I, where I worked, I would get calls from doctors often. Mm-hmm. And so she identified herself and I still didn't put it together. And she just said, I don't know how to tell you this. And I never heard her say anything else. Um, mm. Wow. I never heard her say cancer. I never heard, I never heard anything. I just, um, I dropped the phone. I started screaming and I tucked my head between my legs because I thought I was going to pass out. Um, oh my God. Yeah. So, and then the next thing I knew there were like four people from my work in my office um, mm-hmm. trying to soothe me and one was getting information. So I never actually heard the words you have mm-hmm. cancer. Um, but I knew as, as soon as she said, I'm sorry to tell you this over the phone, but you have, right. that's what it was. So yeah, it was gut wrenching to be quite honest. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, one of the things that I, you know, just even in looking um, at your site and just listening to you and you were, you're resilient and you were already, like you said, you, you, you were trying to already prepare, to prepare yourself. And of course, in that moment, like, of course, I mean, that's understandable that you wouldn't be able to just be like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> but because of your spirit in the type of person you are, once you sort of came away from, okay, I have breast cancer, um, what steps did you begin to take to beat it? You know, I, I want to share this because I think it's it's so important. And I think it's kind of a big part of my story and um, the lessons that I've learned throughout. But the first thing that I said once I kind of pulled myself together wasn't, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I have cancer. The first thing that I said was, I'm going to try really hard not to get emotional. Um, the okay. first thing that I said was, I don't know who's going to love me now. Um, oh. I wasn't worried about the cancer. I was worried about somebody ever being able to step into this life with me and be a partner after what I was probably going to go through. So really, I just kind of, um, I remember that evening, it was a Friday, and I went home and I didn't have anything to do. I lived by myself, my family was an hour away. And I was just, you know, still trying to process everything. And I watched a movie and it was called Why I Wore Red Lipstick to my double mastectomy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I did it. <laughs> I cried the whole time. Um, oh. But I watched it and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do this. Like, I just have to do this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I have three nieces and they were the loves of my life. At that, I mean, they still are, but, you know, at right. that point they were very young. And, um, I, you know, I wanted to watch them grow up. And so mm-hmm. I just, whatever they said to do, I said, okay, that's fine within reason. (laughs) Right, right. But yeah, I mean, I really, you know, I talk a lot about like, I just pulled up my bootstraps and decided Mm -hmm. like, I've, I just have to go like, this is I'm moving full steam ahead, whatever it is that I have to do to survive this. Right. And um, how did you begin to build that network of support? Um, Obviously, you had your coworkers who seemed pretty awesome. And step to write in to start to support you. But um, what did your support network look like? And what do they look like today? I mean, no, that's a great question. So at first, I was a little hesitant um, to tell people I wasn't really quite sure. Um, but 
my very best friend from work, he had convinced me that I needed to go to a place called Gilda's Club. It's mm-hmm. called something else now. I can't remember what it is, mm-hmm. Cancer Community or something like that. But he convinced me to go to Gilda's Club and I did an orientation. And I was really resistant at first. And I went into the breast cancer support groups, mm-hmm. but by and far, I was about 30 years younger than most of the women there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it was a little bit of a struggle, but then I found a young adult survivor uh, group and really surrounded myself with them. And I would say there were probably about six or seven of us that became really, really close. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are still my friends today. Some of them, unfortunately, have passed, um, mm-hmm. you know, but we will forever be connected, you know, and we don't talk as much. I mean, it's been 13 years since my initial diagnosis, but, you know, we're still connected on Facebook. And if I go to Pennsylvania, or if they were to come to Arizona, I know that we would spend time together. Um, right. You know, we're still checking in on each other and doing all of those things. But in my support group now, um, I actually do coaching. I coach a uh, breast mm-hmm. cancer dragon boat team, and all of us are breast cancer survivors. So my support group is pretty big. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> um, amazing. Yeah, yeah, there are about 40 of us. Um, so yeah. And then my, you know, my husband and my parents, um, my family are still my biggest Mm -hmm. cheerleaders. So now how did you overcome? Now you said the first thing you thought was how would someone, you know, who was going to love you? And obviously now you're married. How did you get beyond that feeling and, and being able to open yourself up to someone actually partnering, um, in your journey with you? Yeah, that was, um, it was hard. And I had tried to date, um, nothing felt right. But my husband just kind of plopped into my life, if you will. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally unexpected. You know, I feel like that's the greatest way that it happens. But, yes. Um, I was actually doing a cancer event. And uh, we met up a friend, his friend and uh the guy who became my friend, we met him um, after an event and just started talking and hanging out. And I mean, it was a process. It really mm-hmm. was a process. Um, I would say for a long time, I wasn't open, um, even though, you know, here was a guy who he will tell you, you know, the first day that I met you, I knew I was going to marry you. And yeah. I felt it. I knew that I loved this guy. And I knew that it wasn't he really, he was the one that taught me, you're not cancer, you're Melissa, mm-hmm. you just happen to have cancer. Um, so I would say that it was through the relationship with him that I overcame that. I didn't overcome it before yeah. by any means. That's, <laughs> um, that's awesome. And, and, yeah. and, it, and it's so important, you know, to have someone there and have, you know, have someone who can help you um, through it. Um, I think, you know, something you said earlier when you were talking about, you know, your history, and um, I think it's really great that you said that, you know, I wasn't checking my breast every day, um, because a lot of us women aren't, you know, Um, I have to be honest and say, you know, it wasn't until like I put off for so long getting a mammogram, like I would check my breasts, but I have fibroids. So they're like always lumpy, you know? And so I was just like, well, they're always lumpy. I don't, you know, I don't know. And um, it was in February that I went to like to get a mammogram and to um, have basically have a first mammogram. And, you know, then maybe a week later they were calling me and asking me to come back. 
And so, you know, of course you immediately, like immediately I was like, oh my God, like, is there something wrong with me? And I just know, you know, having, you know, my husband to just even go with me on the second visit, you know, um, once they did the x-rays and, and looked, um, it was just really that I have a lot of, you know, I have, just have a lot in my breast going on all the time, it seems, but just having someone who is there and to support you, even in that moment of, for me, it was not cancer, but just the, the build up to getting there and going back for those tests and having my husband saying, it's going to be okay, regardless to what happens, we'll get through it. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't imagine, you know, the feeling. So that's why I'm so, so inspired by you and your courage and your strength because you went through it and well, you're, you're here today and you're yeah. helping women, you're using your platform and you're helping women and you're helping us to understand and, and so many ways um, how to take care of ourselves and how to you know, helping some woman that may be just learning of a, you know, diagnosis to help her to feel stronger. Um, so I just, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Well, and I will say, you know, it's a, I think regardless, it can be a lonely, lo lonely journey. There's a saying out there um, that a cancer cell is the loneliest cell. Um, and it just really kind of, it hits me because I also feel like, many cancer patients are also the loneliest patients. You know, we're just kind of looked at a little bit differently from other issues, illnesses, or diseases. Mm -hmm. um, and especially when we're young, you know, they don't yeah. anticipate it. It's completely unexpected. But I did, I did go through a lot of it on my own. Um, yeah. I didn't even tell, I didn't tell people until I had to get my biopsy, what was really going on. I didn't tell my family, I just lost my uncle about six months before. And I thought the last thing I want to do is alarm yeah. my parents that this mm -hmm. is going to be nothing, you know, yeah. after they just lost my uncle um, to cancer. So it does make a difference to have a support system around you, no matter who it is, you right. know, as long as you can find somebody, but there are still aspects of it where it's very lonely. So when you started, um, can you tell us a, a little bit about your actual treatment, the process that you went through? So I ended up having to do a bilateral mastectomy. So we got the genetic testing. Mm -hmm. I would say it was just before I made the decision of what options. So I didn't have a choice in terms of the right side. So I had a lump. And then I also had a lot of what's called DCIS, uh, ductal carcinoma in situ, which is, for me, it almost looks like a ton of glitter just thrown about um, oh, wow. on my breast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just like all of these little calcifications. It's pre-cancer, but if left alone, it could cluster and then form mm -hmm. um, into cancer. So the right side was already decided that we would have a, a mastectomy on that side. But once I found out that I had the BRCA2 mutation, uh, mm -hmm. that was when I decided that, to do the bilateral mastectomy. Um, so I did the bilater bilateral mastectomy, and then I ended up having to do radiation, which isn't very typical. I ended up having to do radiation, which was unexpected. Uh, my margins weren't clean. So uh, they just felt that that was an extra step. And so I did 30 rounds of radiation. And then in terms of chemotherapy, I opted to do a clinical trial. And in that clinical trial, it was 
by the click of a button um, on a computer, they decided whether or not I got chemo and tamoxifen or just tamoxifen alone. And I was randomized to just the tamoxifen. What is that? What is exactly is tamoxifen? So sometimes the cancers are estrogen and progesterone positive. Mm -hmm. So any kind of estrogen that's running through your body. um, That's why I like, I had to stop taking birth control immediately um, because of the estrogen. So it just blocks um, the estrogen from getting into the cells. So I took that for five years or six. I don't know. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. It's been um, definitely been quite a journey for you in in a in a process. So where would you say you are today? How do you how do you feel today? How 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 are you today? So one of the things that I do want to mention is, you know, my my actual treatment was pretty short, but the journey was pretty long. It was mm-hmm. about seven years of just different kinds of things. Um, I ended up having to remove my latissimus muscle from my back to rebuild my right breast because mm-hmm. of the damage from the radiation. So I've had multiple reconstructive surgeries. My last surgery was in 2014 when I had a full hysterectomy and oophorectomy. Um, mm-hmm. Just because of the BRCA2 mutation, it was recommended that if if you're not going to have children, you should have that done by 40. So I would say, you know, at this point in time, you know, everything's been behind me. It's been almost six years and I feel great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I try to live my life the best that I can. I just want every day to be the best that it can possibly be. Not that I don't have days where I'm like, oh my gosh, like what if, um, like today mm-hmm. I woke up with a headache and my immediate thought was, oh, you know, what, what if, Um, but then I have to pull myself out of that space and say, you know, don't even go there. Um, it's not like, just, just leave it be. It's not, you're fine. It's just a headache. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. So even, Um, you know, 13 years later, it's still there, but it's a, it's a part of you. It's part of your story and who you are in, but it's also a, a big reason of how, and why you are now an advocate um, for other women. So um, can you talk about what you do um, today um, to help women in your book and your podcast as well? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So I basically just journaled throughout my journey. I actually have a copy of it right oh, here. Yes, but um, yeah, so it's really just about my journey. Um, and like I said, it's it was a long journey. It was seven years. So I, I wrote the book and then in talking to my husband, I said, you know, I'm, I'm sharing my story through my book, but what if I did a podcast to share the story of other women and men um, who have gone through breast cancer? And the reason why I picked uh, Behind the Pink Ribbon was because we're all represented by this pink ribbon. You know, somebody sees a pink ribbon and they immediately think of breast cancer. They also immediately think of women. They don't think about men. But there are stories that sit behind that pink ribbon. You know, we're not all, all of our stories aren't the same. And so I just wanted to create a platform for people to share their stories. And, you know, my hope is that whoever is listening, one, if they are just diagnosed or they are a survivor, that they don't feel alone, that they, you know, there are people that are out there that maybe their story isn't exactly the same, but maybe it's similar and there's something they can relate to. And then if, you know, people are listening and they haven't been touched by cancer personally, um, you know, that maybe it just brings more awareness and um, mindfulness for them to really be paying attention to their bodies, whether they're women or men, 
um, you know, young or old, because it doesn't discriminate by anything, you know, so that's, that's kind of my hope is to share my story, but also to bring the stories of other people to that platform. I love that. Um, I think that's so amazing. So um, where can people purchase your book? Where can they find your podcast in um, in your site um, just to be able to learn more and even, you know, donate and, and, you know, to help you continue to do what you do for people? So you can find Behind the Pink Ribbon book on uh, Amazon. It's also available at Barnes & Noble online. And you can also uh, request it through our website, which is behindthepinkribbon.com. Um, in terms of the podcast, we are on many different platforms. Um, so Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Pandora. You can also use your, um, I don't want to say her name, but the, the little echo. <laughs> you can actually request her to play the latest epi- episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Stitcher. Anchor FM, we are pretty much on every single uh, podcasting platform that's available. Well, Melissa, it definitely has been, it's been a lively show today. (laughs) You are puppy approved because (laughs) he never, he never participates in these. He was excited. He thinks this is an important topic and he's excited. So, (laughs) And it it is very much. Thank you so much um, for your honesty and for sharing. Um, you know, your story and you are so very inspiring. Um, I knew you were resilient and I was like, <laughs> and, and, um, and just hearing you like, you know, tell your story is, has been amazing for me. So I thank you. I wish you all the success, you know, in continuing to do what you do and helping women and men um, on their journeys. And I just um, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for all of what you're doing to empower other women through your show. Awesome. Thank you. Stay tuned, guys. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Glow Girl podcast, everyone. And thank you to Melissa again for sharing her very inspiring journey. You can learn more about Melissa and the work she does with Behind the Pink Ribbon at BehindThePinkRibbon.com. Also, please be sure you have a plan to have a yearly mammogram. So just make sure you get those scheduled and get in there and take the preventative steps to find out where you stand. Also, while I have your attention, please, 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 please vote if you haven't done so already. November 3rd is right around the corner. So if you vote early, vote by mail, grab your mask, call your circle and be sure everyone exercises their right to vote. And thank you again, everyone, for your support and the support of this podcast. I so, so am so, so grateful and I appreciate you all. Um, You can find us online at glowupgirl.com. You can find us on Instagram at glowupgirl and on Facebook at glowupgirlatl. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform and you can leave a review, we definitely love that if you love this podcast. Before I go, as always, I'd like to leave you with a little inspiration. And this quote comes from Elizabeth Edwards. 
Resilience is accepting your new reality, even if it's less good than the one you had before. You can fight it, you can do nothing but scream about what you've lost, or you can accept that and try to put together something that's good. Until next time, stay focused, fab, and glow up. Take care, everyone.